Hello and welcome to this A World Full of Debt podcast sponsored by PSG Wealth. Levels of government debt have steadily increased over the past decade, uh, jumping substantially during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, some of the latest data um, shows that South Africa is sitting at uh, 67.4% debt to GDP, while the US is sitting at a debt to GDP ratio of about 129%. Now that uh, interest rates are increasing to combat higher inflation, uh, the cost to cover these debts is also rising uh, and that's uh, making it increasingly difficult to see where governments will get enough revenue, whether or not they will get enough revenue rather, to pay off um, these debts and for the investors uh, you know, to look forward to any type of growth prospects. My name is Mdiya Gavaza, business writer with the Business Day and Financial Mail and I'll be your host for what is looking to be quite a great, uh, fascinating and informative conversation. Joining me today is Adrian Pask, who is the Chief Investment Officer over at uh, PSG Wealth, who is going to be explaining why they're concerned about uh, the rising trend of uh, debt in uh, the world. Adrian, greetings to you once again today. Hello, Medivas. It's good to be on. Now, uh, Adrian, you and I have had uh, many conversations, um, you know, over the last uh, couple of months about uh, the state of the economy, the state of the markets, both in South Africa and uh, in the global markets. And of course, I think in the last conversation, we were saying, you know, what to look through for uh, 2023. And then right now, there are various fiscal challenges for the South African government uh, that they are facing and uh, have been in the spot spotlight of late. One doesn't need to venture too far to see and know what's going on, especially with the recent budget speech and uh, the State of the Nation address highlighting expenditure and revenue needs for the country. What have we learned uh, about South Africa's uh, debt levels from, uh, you know, some of these, uh, you know, big events? What are they telling us? What signals are they sending to the market? Yeah, I think it might be useful to to just state some of the simple mechanics of of debt so so that provides some some useful context for how we see debt and how it should be utilized so from our perspective similar to household or businesses whatever cannot be financed via um, income or taxes typically financed through either savings or reserves or the expenses will have to be financed through debt depending on, on what you need to take on that debt will ultimately have to be repaid either through your, your bond repayments or whichever mechanism you, you use to, to repay those debts. But it's typically a very useful, um, tool for, for two reasons. One, um, you mentioned the crisis. So if you run into a crisis and, and there's additional funding required to get out of a, a hole of sorts, then you can tap on that debt to help you through that period. In addition to that, if you think about businesses, with large capital expenses, but they want to grow, but they don't necessarily have the cash flow to go get over that hurdle. So think of big manufacturers that need to build factories or need to buy expensive equipment. In that specific case, it's quite useful to take on additional debt. Ultimately, it will be productive and you'll be able to pay off your, your debts if all, go, if all goes well. But there's always a profile of sorts. There's an asset behind it. Um, so in the case of a, a homeowner, there would be the home behind it or you investing into your own future and there's a future expected income that will come through. So if you spend by debt, 
but there's no asset and there's no future income stream, it obviously introduces some risk because now you've created a, a liability, but there's no forthcoming asset in either cash flow or asset that will help you repay it. And especially now, the, the risk could be further amplified through the cost of debt. So as interest rates move higher. So with this in mind, you can see how this is quite topical at the moment, because through the crisis, more money was needed than what was available. Um, and we, we needed to incur additional expenses like, like most other countries out there. Uh, there were additional costs that, be, that needed to be covered to make sure that the economy stays stable. But now we're downstream of, of that crisis and we now need to start thinking about repaying the debts and we need to start looking at the income streams and the growth. And that's why growth is such a critical component at the moment because preceding the, um, the current state, there was COVID and debts escalated. But now all of a sudden, interest rates are moving higher, so the debt is becoming more expensive to finance. So now it's really important to understand how a government spending, how a business is spending, how much debt do they have, and what does it cost to have that debt, and what are they ultimately getting in return for, for that debt. In South Africa's case, yes, the debt has jumped quite a bit, but at least the one silver lining that we do have is our debt consolidation plan, which is a, a long-winded way of saying Essentially, we, we consolidated a lot of our old expensive debt and refinanced it through a new structure of less expensive debt at more attractive rates. So you'll recall a lot of press around when we had to go for loans with the IMF and the World Bank, for example. And that money was used to consolidate some of the debt to make the, the funding a little bit less um, expensive for us. Um, if I'm understanding you correctly, Adrian, um, you are sort of highlighting the fact that because of that situation that we had during COVID-19, we had uh, increased expenses, but then it was a situation where productivity growth was understandably low because of what was going on with lockdowns, COVID-19. Uh, your government needs more money, but as a country, you're producing less than what's had to fund that gap. You go and you borrow internationally. And then whilst you're now recovering post that pandemic, um, you are also struggling with growth, but you're also trying to also, can I call it a claw back? some of those debts uh, that were incurred during that time. So it sort of becomes like, can I call it a vicious cycle? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it could be a vicious cycle. So I think that the key point is that ultimately you need that growth component to come through because there's a lot of talk of what they call modern portfolio theory so or, or modern monetary theory, sorry. So essentially what that means is don't worry too much about the debt levels. Just keep an eye on the growth. Borrow as much as what you like. But just make sure that you get a return on, on that debt and, and ultimately you should be okay, which in principle makes sense. It's essentially like a, a business that over leverage. If you can buy all the equipment out there, and as long as you grow, you're going to have fantastic growth. The problem is what happens if demand falls off or the idea wasn't as great as what you thought it was initially. Then obviously you sit with all that equipment or you sit with all that debt and there's no means of paying it off. So, so you can run into a situation where you take on this debt, there is no growth, and then you need to fund your debt with new debt. And that's the, the vicious cycle that, that you're referring to. If you can get the growth, you can avoid that whole situation. But it isn't as easy as that because as with everything in our world, nothing comes with guarantees. So you do take a risk when you take on additional debt. 
Yeah, it certainly sounds like quite a conundrum, you know, to find ourselves in as a country. And I guess that begs the question. Um, we're looking at it from a South Africa point of view for now. How does uh, South Africa's government debt compare to the rest of the world? Because, you know, one could imagine that there, there are possibly a number of other countries that uh, might be finding themselves, you know, trying to solve the same uh, set of problems. You know, so I think there's two components um, to that. I think, firstly, it would be inaccurate to say that we don't have a, a debt problem. Our, our debts are significant. Um, you mentioned the 67% to, to GDP, um, and and our growth is muted at the same time. So so therein lies the the risk. And from the, the latest budget, our gross debt stock is projected to grow to just under $6 trillion by 2026. So that's a massive amount. And the debt servicing cost that comes with that, that you need to to pay out of the annual tax collection is 400 billion rand uh, per annum, more or less for the next each of the next three years. So that's sort of what they've got penciled down. But there is a, a, a another component when you say, okay, South Africans' debt table is not great, but but how does it actually compare on a on a relative basis? So if you look at some of the other countries around the globe and the the massive issues that they have. Uh, you mentioned the U.S., for example, at 129%. The EU is at 90%. The um, China is at around 80%. Uh, Japan is approaching 300%. Um, and that's been a, a, a problem for, for decades already. So there are other places that suffer under similar conditions. I think that the other really important thing, though, to remember in South Africa's case is our debt, our debt is higher, but it's lower than the average for the OECD countries and definitely lower than for other um, other developed markets. But our funding requirement is reduced. In some of these other cases, the funding requirements has escalated, have escalated heavily. So the bond yields, are they came from, say, 1.5% on the 10-year for the U.S. Treasury, which is the, the debt repayment on the bond, where that now sits at 4% across the whole curve. So the government's debt funding cost has, um, as a percentage, more than doubled. And and we haven't run into that situation. Our actual expenses has moved to the other way. And I think that that's really, really important in terms of how you see debt going forward. The, the argument that, that I often get is yes, but the U.S. is growing, South Africa is struggling. And actually, for all our sins and all our mismanagement mishaps, like ESCOM, for example, which is the, the, the sort of poster boy for all our mistakes, our growth is still at 2%, which is on par with what you get in the U.S. And there's significant upside for us in, in the economy that we can still grow into, where if you think about these large developing economies off a, off a very high base, um, where government finances aren't in a great space. I think on a relative basis, we are actually in a much better position, not a good position, but definitely a much better position than some of our international peers. It certainly sounds like uh, a huge set of problems, and especially um, I think you, you've mentioned that debt servicing um, aspect um, on a number of times now, I guess, emphasizing why uh, that is a huge problem. And of course, ESCOM and um, you know load shedding, energy uncertainty uh, being the biggest example. Um, sort of as a microcosm of uh, all of the various problems that the country faces in one example in that uh, national power utility. But for PSG, because we do understand it from a national and microeconomic point of view, given the way that you've articulated, Adrian, uh, but for PSG, um, what's the concern, you know, when it comes to those uh, those debt levels for the country? 
Yeah, I think firstly for for households, obviously its disposable income is not not great for sales volumes um, for many other businesses. So if the consumer is underpaying because they need to pay high interest rates, high funding costs, then obviously that's going to leave less disposable income to buy other things. And then obviously for the businesses, they feel it because it's their top line that we're talking about. But at the same time, those businesses in themselves also have debt. And that debt cost is also increasing, which means it's eating into profit margins. So they run into a problem potentially where sales volumes are under pressure and the operating margins are under pressure, um, which is not good for, for the earnings side of things. But again, this is not, not unique just to South Africa. I think this is a global thing that we need to, to keep in mind. So it becomes really important to understand how businesses, um, how indebted are they? What are they doing to the debt? What is the debt repayment plan? Have they negotiated with banks, for example, for lower rates, similar to what South Africa has done with the IMF? Um, so you need to evaluate it on a, on a case by case basis. But if you look at, at in the US, for example, at the corporate business debt service ratio, currently it's around 12.5%. And given what's happened to, to funding costs, it's set to increase to closer to 25%. So it's essentially doubling. And, and that's where we get very, very concerned around those, those profit margins and not being sustained. Uh, on the government side of things, um, I think it's, it's stating the obvious, but we cannot continue to invest, um, or not invest in, in our own future. We've got massive obligations in terms of welfare payments, for example, which is understandable, but that combined with, um, debt repayment cost. So that's the 400 billion I mentioned leaves very little for, um, investment into our own roads and keeping the economy alive and making sure that businesses can grow and, and, and operate in an environment that's conducive to growth. So, so that's out there. But I think there are a few things that, um, that are positive. So as I mentioned, our debt to GDP is relatively low by international standards. Although our economic growth is, is too low for job creation, it's broadly on par with, with the rest of the world. Our debt consolidation strategy has been effective. And in the budget itself, because this really speaks to the futures, it's just around the culture around budgeting for government. Um, there were a few positive comments out of the latest budget, or I, I perceive them as positive. Um, as um, Minister Gorongwana said, we should be investing in our future. So a very clear uh, comment made around this is going to be a priority. And I think that's that's incredibly positive. You also mentioned that we should be aware that there's trade-offs in budgets. So it's almost like he sounded a bit more like a like a like a business owner than one of you know the previous um, ministers, where he very clearly said, you know, in order to pay for one thing, we must understand that it's going to come out of somewhere else, and then we must understand how productive each of those expenses are and what's going to be be beneficial for the country over the long term. And I think that kind of thinking is very very positive. And then a last point that I thought was excellent was he said um, our spending will be kept below revenues. And and that's as simple as understanding that you earn a thousand rand a month, you shouldn't be spending more than a thousand rand a month. Historically, we've indicated very poor discipline there. We've always overspent. And, and even if we do have some savings left over, it was very, very marginal. And alongside that, in order to, to get that right, you need to stabilize your, your debt. So those were some of the key comments out of the budget. So I think that's, that's very positive for South Africa going forward. 
It's certainly a good signal when you see that type of fiscal discipline uh, at least being spoken about. As to your point, the country hasn't been good uh, about something like that. And especially when you think about the last couple of years, you'd almost say understandably so, given uh, the set of challenges that uh, South Africa faces and the type of support uh, that the government has tried to give to to people on the ground and to also just to just to keep the lights on. Um, so it certainly makes sense from that point of view, or, or else you then err on the side of austerity, um, which we've seen, you know, being something that has been received negatively um, in a number of other parts of the world. But sometimes that discipline really is uh, something that is needed uh, for the country to go forward. Now, Adrian, you've spoken quite a bit through this discussion um, about uh, the risks um, that are that are associated with debt, both from a global perspective, the various countries distinguishing, you know, the types of debts that different countries have, and uh, you know, the what different countries can manage, what South Africa can manage or not manage, the fact that you have that possible four hundred billion uh, that leaves little room for um, continued investment um, into the country, the infrastructure the economy and the like so that we can achieve uh, the growth that you were talking about earlier on. Which pieces or which risks um, around this uh, debt conversation uh, do you feel like are not being spoken about um, enough? No, I think I'm, it feels like I'm hammering a bit on the on the US case, but I think it, it does make for a, a, good, um, a, a good illustration because the, the U.S. Treasury is, is sort of the cornerstone of the global investment landscape. It's considered globally as the risk-free asset class. And and all other assets sort of price off of that, whether you sit in Germany or in Asia somewhere, in South Africa, whether you're talking bonds or equities, everything prices off the U.S. Treasuries. And, and there's a narrative that says it's the U.S. what can go wrong and um, it's the reserve currency of the world what can go wrong. So it, and therefore the understanding is that it is a risk-free asset class. Uh, but, but I, I would disagree with that. I think there are, are many, many risks there. I think if you look at, at where we are at the moment, um, we've previously spoken about the, the Volcker era, high inflation and interest rates. Um, and they navigated through that period. But where they are now in the U.S. is that the, the, the debt is essentially three times as much now as what it was through that Volcker period. And we sit with yields that are incredibly high as well. And most importantly, um, the topic that gets very, very little attention in, in South Africa is that they already had a, had a debt ceiling. So in order to take on more debt, they've got to go to Congress again. They've done this multiple occasions before to ask for a bigger allowance. Can we please take on, on more debt? And effectively, if Congress doesn't bow to that, then they will be unable to to pay debts, which means that there's a default. And a U.S. default on debt is unthinkable. And for me, given that the, the probability is remote, um, it's incredibly likely that they will just continue lifting that ceiling. But one day at one point, the debt levels might just be simply too high. And it's politics, so you never know what's going to happen. And and yet there's no indication that the market is pricing in that risk at all. So I think that's really, really important. If you look at what the, the U.S. government needs to pay in terms of their servicing cost already, um, and that's why I think they can't actually take on more debt, um, where it's currently about 1.5% of GDP, 
the normal is around, say, just over 1% of GDP. In approximately five to six years' time, that number is, is said to be above 4% of GDP. So you've got a 4% headwind for GDP growth that they need to grow in excess of just to fund their debt. And I think these are the things that aren't really spoken about. Everybody just assumes U.S. debt is the safest debt, and I, I wouldn't say that's the case. The other one that stands out for me is Japan, but but again, they sort of dissipated into the shadows because this has been an issue that's been lying dormant for absolute decades. But for the first time, so we know that Japan has a lot of debt, but for the first time, we're talking about policy normalization in a bigger way. Um, that means interest rates are moving away from zero uh, rate policy. And what's the impact of that? Because we've seen um, Japanese corporates, for example, take on a lot of debt on their balance sheets um, simply to so they look more resilient. And it, it's really as simple as, as that. And it didn't come at any expense to have that debt. What happens now is that there's a funding cost associated to that for, for Japanese corporates. And, and how will they deal with that situation? I think there's still very little understood and spoken about in, in that sense. Because I also start to wonder about the contagion effects through the rest of the world and bond markets, for example. So those are the two for me that I think, you know, in, in investment professionals and researchers need to very carefully inspect those two cases. Yeah, those two cases, um, you know, what's going on in a place like the U.S., what's going on in a place like uh, Japan, but more so the U.S., you know, is it really as safe as people saying? Uh, and I guess we have to be cautious uh, about that one. As we are rounding up the discussion, Adrian, um, your thoughts just around why investors uh, should be aware of the debt levels in uh, countries and businesses. I think, uh, you know, this uh, nicely rounds everything up, uh, taking it from a global perspective, an essay level. Um, I think we even spoke about it at business level, but now coming down to maybe either your individual investors or, uh, you know, maybe the institutional guys, but investors as a whole, why they uh, should be cognizant of what's going on in terms of debts. Yeah, I think maybe to summarize, I think there are some basic principles when, whenever you start looking at, at debt or considering debt um, that could be useful for households, businesses, governments alike, and understand the cost of the debt, the true cost of the debt, and how that cost might change as the future uh, evolves. What is the return on that debt? What is the, the impact on risk, especially default risk, um, as we've mentioned before? Um, and then each case must be considered on its own merit. So, so debt is not a bad thing on its own. If we could, if we could be sure that each case of debt would be backed by an asset or an income stream that will be beneficial, then it would be an easy discussion. But the reality is many of those debts aren't good debts and won't be connected to a good future income stream or asset. In some way, the mess will land in an area that, that you need to avoid. So each case must be considered um, on its own merit. So that's been it. Adrian, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Matthew. I appreciate the opportunity. So that brings us to the end of uh, this podcast about a world full of debt sponsored by your PSG Wealth. I've been your host, Mudiwa Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. Remember that you can subscribe for free episodes on Iono.fm, Spotify, Player.fm, Pocket Cost, or wherever you choose to get your podcasts. <music>